Chapter 15 continues rules relating to people who have impurities, which in a certain sense separates them from the community. And chapter 15, the main focus of chapter 15 are the way the Talmud understands it, uh, I would say genital discharges. Uh, the first part of the chapter deals with uh, the Zav, that is a man who suffers from some kind of genital discharge and requires a, a purification process. And the uh, second part of the chapter, beginning in verse 19, talks about the woman, the Isha, ki dam bibsara. So if a woman has a discharge, so for seven days, says the Torah, that's normal. That's a normal seven-day, a part of a normal cycle. And she's to may for seven days. And the Torah then gives further rules about that. The uh, Torah then continues in verse number 25, but what about if a woman uh, has a discharge of blood for many days? Not at the time of normal nida, not at the time of her normal cycle, or she has a discharge beyond her period of impurity. Then that's a different story. Then she's not what the Torah calls a nida, then she's what the Torah calls a zava. So the zava is parallel to the zav, and their process of reintegration is similar. That is to say, the Torah says in each case that they count out seven days, and on the eighth day, they bring a pair of sacrifices. One is the burnt offering, the olah, and the other is the chatat. We have already spoken earlier that the pair of olah and chatat often appear in the Torah, as a means of, of reintegration. It's not that there's been a sin in the narrow sense of sin, but perhaps uh, the very fact of being somehow outside is a state which the Torah feels needs correction. What's interesting here, among other things, is not so much what is in this parsha. That is very interesting. And the fact that the Torah seems to see the Zav and the Zava the man's impurity in this chapter and the woman's impurity, which emerges from them from themselves. It's what the Talmud calls Tuma Yotze Migufo, comes out of the very person. It's not about touching something. It's the state of the person herself or himself. There's a kind of parallel in the chapter. That's very interesting. What's actually quite interesting here is not so much what it does say in the chapter, but what it doesn't say in the chapter. One would have expected that in these chapters would deal with, we would say, severe impurity. For example, the Torah spent two long chapters on the Mitzorah. The Mitzorah, people call it leprosy. It's not actually leprosy, but it's some kind of scale disease. And the Torah spends a long time uh, de describing how the Kohen determines whether or not one is in that state. And a long time about how the Kohen, who has determined that the person is no longer in that state, undergoes this complicated ritual which allows the full reintegration. 
The Mitzora is perhaps the most severe example of Tumah in these chapters. The Zav and Zava are also severe. It's not a one-day Tumah. It's a seven-day Tumah. It's a seven-day impurity. It requires sacrificial uh, offerings at the end, as does the Mitzora. The Mitzora, in fact, brings three sacrifices, and the Zav and the Zava bring two sacrifices. But what's actually not here in these chapters, surprisingly, is what is perhaps the central impurity of the Bible, and that is what happens when somebody comes in contact with a dead body. Tumat mate. Milgram, in his quite long uh, work, an important work on Vayikra, posits as a given, and just assumes this uh, to be true, that the main, the primary Tumah of the Bible is Tumat mate. It is interesting to note that the that Mitzorah itself, that the Mitzorah, which in appears in certain biblical narratives as well, including the story of Miriam, who after speaking with Aaron against Moshe, becomes uh, a, a Tzarat, a Mitzorah. And Aaron, whose normal role it is to cure leprosy, to be involved in the curing of leprosy, I call it leprosy, we know it's not leprosy, but of the scale disease. But in that situation, in chapter 12 of Bamidbar, is powerless. He turns to Moshe and says, please, help us out, don't hold it against us. And then Aaron adds, in chapter 12 of Bamidbar, let her not be like one who has died. So Aaron pleads with Moshe, even though it's Aaron's job, presumably, to deal with these matters, he's powerless to do so. He has to uh, ask Moshe to get involved, and Moshe, of course, responds. If Aaron had said, let her not be as one dead who emerges from his mother's womb with half his flesh eaten away. So Aaron and the Torah is comparing the Mitzorah to a mate. And, of course, Moshe cried out to God in one of the shortest prayers that we have, El na refan God, pray, heal her, and God responds immediately in the affirmative with one caveat. But there you see the connection between the Mitzorah and the mate. So one has to wonder if, in fact, Tumat mate is the central Tumah of the Bible. Why did the Torah, in the book of Ayikra, which deals extensively with severe impurity. Why did the Torah not in the entire book of Ayikra a single time mention Tumat Mate? And in fact, it delays all the way to the next book of the Torah, chapter 19 of Sefer Bamidbar, to give us a detailed uh, discussion of what is required in the case where one who has come into contact with a corpse and of course is impure, what is the process, what is the procedure through which that person can rid herself himself of the tumma and be, and be reintegrated fully into society? And that's the parsha of the paraduma, the red heifer. And one has to wonder, why did the Torah not mention here, in the book of Ayikra, in our chapters, seems the most obvious place to discuss the 
Para Aduma. My own feeling is that the Torah clearly has purposely delayed uh, Para Aduma and Tumat Mate to place it in a pivotal space in the book of Bamidbar, and we'll come to that because it's located in the book of Bamidbar precisely at the in the at the place in which the two generations of the Book of Bamidbar and the two generations of the Torah, namely, those that leave the land of Egypt and those that, and die in the desert, and those that will enter the land, that turning point takes place in the Torah in a chapter after the Paraduma, which is chapter 20. There Aaron dies, there Miriam dies, Moshe is told of his impending death, and that's where that first generation, in effect, dies. And chapter 21 is the new generation. So this transition from one generation to the next is preceded by the rules of the corpse contamination. That is to say, someone has died. But it doesn't mean that all those who come in contact with, the, with that corpse are forever in the same state as the corpse, forever doomed to be to may mate. That's not the case. There is a process through which one can be purified and move forward which, of course, is exactly the major theme of the Book of Bamidbar. So I think the Torah has purposely delayed what is a natural, naturally it belongs here, belongs right in these chapters. But the Torah has purposely delayed. In any event, what we do have in our chapter is not Tumat Mate, which is Tuma, which is a function of touching or being in the same space. But we have a Tuma that emerges from the person. And it's interesting to note that in the Chumash, at least, there's pretty much of a parallel between the severe impurity of the man and the woman. Of course, one is a flow of blood, the woman, and the other is some kind of a discharge on the part of the man. They are related, in each case, to, to procreation, to life and death, that's for sure. And I would just add one thing about the Zava, the Torah distinguishes between the Zava and the Nida. The Nida, which is to say the woman who bleeds for, say, seven days on a regular cycle, she requires no sacrifices after that. She is ritually impure because the Nida is connected, the giving of life and the taking of life and the end of life are deeply connected. But fundamentally, there's nothing unhealthy about this. It's not an illness in any sense. It's not an irregularity in any sense. So no sacrificial service is required at the end. The zava and the zav, that's a different story. That is something wrong. I'm not suggesting that it's a punishment in any sense. That's a different question. And the same question about the mitzorah. Is that actually a punishment? Has the mitzorah done anything wrong or not? That's a question for the future. But... In any event, the Torah sharply distinguishes between the Zava on one hand, who's parallel to the Zav, and the Nida on the other. That's a very important distinction to keep in mind.